This is the Midweeks. Hello, this is bonus track day. I'm going to treat you to a a teaching that I did for my church. It's posted online elsewhere, but I'm going to upload it to the midweeks as well. Um, In the town that I live in, somebody who's, I think, fairly well known or famous in town put out a book that challenged uh, the biblical view of hell. And so in response to this, you know, I didn't go through a line by line response or anything like that, which I think can sometimes get um, overly bellicose. Um, I'm just presenting three key portions of scripture that reveal what God's conception is of life and death after death. And so it's a very important topic. It's a serious topic. And I hope that you'll uh, listen carefully. And if anything said that um, challenges you, uh, grab your Bible and read it for yourself. This is one of the best things about Christianity is that we have the Bible in our hands. And so you can always read it for yourself and study for yourself, which I encourage you to do. But without any more delay, here is a special teaching on life and death after death. Hi, Calvary Chapel. I'm making this video for you today because I know that there's been some news articles in Steinbeck where uh, an author has written a book challenging they might say that regular interpretations of hell. And so I want to take some time and just talk about the topic of hell biblically. Yeah, for your sake, you'll know where I'm at at least, and um, I can point you to some scriptures which I think are really important scriptures for thinking about this topic. But before we look at the Bible, I just want us to remember that this topic is a humongous and weighty topic. Many of you may remember that my dad died a couple of years ago. Uh, he was diagnosed with a brain tumor in fall, and then he passed away early the next year, so just a few months, Um, and that was one of the hardest seasons of my life, uh, along with other things. And a few months after that, I had this dream one night. I think I was away at the Salt and Light Pastures Retreat, and I had this dream, and in the dream, I was at an airport with my dad, and we were coming up to the security line. where you're going to get on the plane. You know, if you don't have a ticket, you can't cross the line. And I remember my dream, my dad handed me a a wad of money, but he couldn't come over the line. I was going on ahead on the airplane and he couldn't cross over the line. And I will remember to the day I die, this look of profound sadness on my dad's face. And my dad, as far as I know, wasn't a, a believer. Um, God knows. I don't know. And I'm not sharing that story to say that I've had some secret knowledge into his his fate or anything like that. But what I am sharing that story is, you know, I spent days and days after that just with the weight of the question, what happens after you die? And what happened to my father after he died? And knowing that this is huge with permanent consequences, what happens after you die? is one of the greatest questions of life and it has profound consequences what is going to happen or what you believe about it as well and so i'm just sharing that story to say that i have faced that thought very deeply and i i know that there is a lot of emotion behind this stuff and i i know that there's a lot of uh there's a lot to cry about 
And there's also a lot to be happy about when it comes to thinking about uh, life after death or death after death um, as a Christian. And so one of the things that we've also been talking about very recently is this idea of meism or existentialism, which is this philosophy that's permeated all of our culture very deeply that says there is no God and therefore there's no life after death. But because there's no God, there is no real right and wrong. And so if you're going to have any meaning in your life, you get to decide. What are you? You decide. What is your life? You decide. Does your life have meaning? You decide. What's the future? You decide. Are you going to have thoughts about what happens after you die? You decide. What's right and wrong? You decide. All this stuff, the pressure is on you to decide as well as the quote-unquote freedom for you to decide. And so when people in general talk about these huge ideas, um, there is always going to be a push to decide that you think or we think what's going to happen in the future based on how we want to feel or even the idea of um, what kind of person I want to be, right? So if there is a hell traditionally understood as a place of judgment and punishment that lasts forever, there's this way that, you know, if I believe this, I must be a bad person, because why would anybody want someone to endure that? Um, that can be how we think. I don't want to be a bad person. I want to be a good person. So I want to imagine good things happen to you after death. Uh, because, but that the whole root there is my decisions decide what reality is. But that's not the case, and it can't be the case. If there is a God, and if there is existence after death based on what God does, whether bringing people to heaven or sending people to hell, then obviously that is a reality that we don't have any control over as far as what the realities are. We can have control over where we go in that sense. You know, we can have faith in God or not. But I'm saying, you know, if there's a heaven and if there's a hell, our choices don't make either of those things exist or disappear biblically. So I'm, I'm just saying that to... I want us to be self-conscious. There's always going to be pressure to think about these things in a way that either makes us feel good about ourselves or makes us feel good about the person we want to present to the world. And I want to say that that's a trap because if there is a heaven that people can go to, then we need to respond to that reality. We need to live in that reality and not think we can make up our own. And if there is a hell that people can get lost to, we need to respond to that reality and not try to make things up for our own sake, especially if other people's eternities are dependent on hearing a message of salvation or not, which is the biblical message. If other people's eternities are dependent in some sense on what we do, then, then we cannot um, mess with the truth for our own sake. That would be selfish, right? The second thing I want to say before we look at the actual scriptures is that for topics like this, topics like, um, you know, what was happening before people were here to experience it and record it, like in the creation, and also what happens after you die, human beings are in a place of needing revelation. We need God to speak, essentially, because we cannot have direct experience or access to these things. You know, you can go into the world and you can you can run experiments on 
in chemistry, you can run physics experiments, you can go, you say, oh, what's underneath, you know, what's in, what's in my pocket? I can look, right? Pull this thing out, oh, just lint. You know, I can actually search out answers to those kinds of questions, and I have access to it because I live in the physical world and this stuff's in the physical world. But when it comes to things like what happens after you die, we don't have access to any spiritual realities about what might happen after you die. We can look at a corpse um, that, you know, there's that change where the life has come out of it and it goes from being this thing that looks alive to looking waxy or just looking so wrongly still, um, which is unnerving and disturbing sometimes, these kinds of things, but we don't have access to any kind of spiritual existence, the soul existing beyond death, a spirit existing beyond death, we don't have the capability of determining what happens after death. So we need revelation. So somebody's given an example before, you know, there's a lot you can learn about a person just by looking at them, right? If I sit here, you can say, okay, well, what do Rob's eyebrows look like? You can just look. What's my hair look like today? You can just look. But if somebody said, okay, so what is Rob's favorite kind of ice cream? And I just sit here. Did you figure it out? No, you actually have to ask me. Okay, and there are so many things that you don't know even about me in the physical world. You could say, okay, so what does Rob's sock drawer look like? Well, unless I let you into my house and show you, you'll never know because that's my realm of, of, of it's my house. You're not just allowed in there for no reason. And unless I show you what's going on in my sock drawer, you'll never know. And so we need to also remember that unless... God speaks. We can't know what happens after death. Some people can have ideas. Maybe some people can philosophize. Maybe some people can use analogies from the physical world and say, well, um, because, you know, when you die, you, or in real life, when you go to sleep, then you wake up. Maybe it's just like that. You know, you go to sleep and you wake up somewhere else. Or maybe they talk, look at the cycle of the seasons and say, well, life and death is just the cycle like the seasons. And they might believe in reincarnation or something like that. And maybe we like some of these ideas and maybe we're afraid of some of these ideas. But unless God has actually spoken, we don't have access to the truth or the facts. We can't. And so this is another reason why we really need to come to the Bible. And this is a reason why Jesus is so precious to us Christians, because he is the man come down from heaven. He's the son of God. So he's come down from heaven and he actually knows. That's our faith, that Jesus himself actually knows things that no one else could ever know. And on top of that, we believe that the Holy Spirit has come down from heaven and has inspired the prophets and the apostles to write God's truth to us. And so the Holy Spirit actually knows. He knows heavenly realities. He knows what was going on before there was any creation because he was there. And he knows what happens with life and death after death because he's there. And so we are completely dependent on God speaking. And our faith is that the Bible is God speaking to us, that the Holy Spirit um, inspired these words and oversaw their production so that these are dependable words about what happens after you die. So with those thoughts in mind, let's turn to some scripture. Okay, so I'm going to go into the Gospels and we're going to hear Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to go to Matthew 25 because in Matthew 25, we get 
Jesus speaking about the final judgment and what happens after death in a way that seems to me to be fairly clear, as in he's actually talking about the events and he's not using a lot of metaphor. All right, so I'm going to read this is starting in verse 31, and he's talking about his return. So he's going to die, he's going to rise from the grave, he's going to go to heaven, he's going to reign from heaven for a period, and then he's going to return for a final judgment. And so this is Jesus describing for his disciples um, what the final judgment is going to look like. And just listen for how little metaphor is used in this. It sounds very um, factual, actual. He's not talking about fish being pulled out of the sea or a tree growing or anything like this. It sounds very factual, actual. So listen to this. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations. I understand that talking about the resurrection of the dead where he's going to raise everyone from the dead um, for judgment. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Again, so sheep and the goats, he's talking about different kinds of creatures, but he's still just using a picture to describe certain kinds of people. And he's going to explain what is the difference between this uh, here. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, and I was thirsty and you gave me drink, and I was a stranger and you welcomed me, I was naked and you clothed me, and I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did you see when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So there's two big things going on here. Okay, so one of the big things here is Jesus telling his disciples, you have to care about each other. And I will receive every kind thing you do for my people as you caring about me and you'll be rewarded in all of eternity for it and he says to people who's, who did not care about loving christians or caring for christians or caring for the least of these that of course you didn't know god you didn't you don't have any love for for god's people how could you know god and so so there's that the the strong exhortation care for the people of god and you will be rewarded don't and you'll be punished but the terms of the, the reward are to enter into the kingdom of God's inheritance because you're blessed by the Father. And the terms of the punishment are to be cursed and go into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Called again, eternal punishment. And so here's Jesus in one of the times he's speaking most clearly about existence, not just past death, 
but after the judgment. Okay, so most people are going to die before, before the final judgment. And we're talking about what happens after the final judgment. And after the final judgment, there is an existence that is to be feared. An eternal punishment dwelling under a curse and dwelling with the devil and his angels. Right? That's, that is frightening to imagine being in that existence. And Jesus talks about that with the same level of kind of factual actualness that he is talking about Christians blessed by the Father and going to dwell with him forever. There's that parallel. There's these two futures for people, depending on faith in Christ and how your faith shows its love for believers. He said, these are the two destinies. And so this is, this is really one of the foundation stories of um, why Christians believe what they believe about eternal life because of the words of Christ, an existence under a curse with the devil and his angels. That's an eternal punishment. And that's that same word, eternal life, going to be with God forever, eternal punishment, going to be with the devil forever, essentially in a place that is to be feared. Now, I want to go into another uh, story here. This is a story from Luke. And I mean story is in, it's a story about Jesus. And I'm not saying it's a made up story. These are records of Christ's life from people who were with him. And so Jesus did tell a parable. This one's a parable, but it looks like a parable where Jesus is using his understanding of what happens after death to make a point. Similar to the last one. What happens after death? Well, I'll tell you a story to make a point about how you need to live now. Okay, so this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed, what fell from the rich man's table. And moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades... Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your life you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest also they come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, my father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced of someone should rise from the dead. Okay, so here's the story about a rich man and a poor man who lies out at his gate and what happens to them after death with a point about how we should live life today. And the description of existence after death, now Jesus doesn't talk about if this, obviously this is before the, the final judgment, sorry. Jesus does mention this is before the final judgment because Lazarus wants someone to go back and warn his brothers about what it's like afterwards. 
So this gives us some information that it's very likely that when someone dies, they go into some kind of consequence for their life. And the final judgment um, is a universe-wide solidifying of that judgment. Maybe it's similar to what happens today if somebody commits a, a major crime like a murder. They're arrested and they go into the remand center. And someday there is a, a court date and they can be held in jail until that court date where they might receive a final longer sentence for things. It seems like this is the case here. This is how Jesus is presenting it. But the way Jesus is talking about this is that right after you die, you go into some kind of experience that's reflective of how you live with God in your life. And so um, Lazarus is shown as going to Abraham's bosom. So he goes to a place of comfort with the people of God. And nearby, in some sense, is the rich man who, uh, likely because of his hard-hearted attitude towards the poor man and his gates, so very similar to the last story Jesus told, rich man is in torment because he had all of his comforts in life. And you can tell by the stories, well, it didn't take care of Lazarus at all. So Lazarus is now getting taken care of by Abraham, and nobody is taking care of the rich man. And the rich man is in anguish, and it's described as flames. Is it literal flames? I don't know. It's, it, it is depicting a, a scene of agony, of torment, of discomfort. And this is where Jesus takes this story and uses his idea of what happens after death to be a warning about how we live life now before we die and end up there. And so the rich man says, well, send somebody to warn them that this is what happens if you live like I lived. Send someone to warn my brothers. And Jesus says they already have the Bible. If they won't listen to the prophets, if they won't listen to the Bible, what can I do from here? And he also says, no, but if somebody was raised from the dead, they'll listen to that person. And the idea is no, because Jesus was raised from the dead and people still don't listen to him. And one other detail I forgot to talk about here is, you know, Lazarus is kind of, uh, sorry, the rich man is hoping Lazarus will come and give him some kind of comfort, comfort, just even a drop of water on my tongue. And Abraham says, you know what, that's, that's impossible. There has been this chasm fixed so that I can't go to you and you can't come to me. And it reflects the, the permanency of the eternal state. There's no changing. Even if, even if uh, you know, someone wanted to do something after death, it can't. This, this is an effect that takes place and is permanent. There's no crossing over. And so if we're going to let Jesus' story, who is the man from heaven, who is the Son of God, who knows what's happening, if this story is to actually work on us, we are meant to pause and reflect and say, am I living in such a way that I'm going to be rewarded after death because of, by faith, taking care of people around me? Or am I in danger of going to a place of torment that I cannot escape from because I've lived selfishly and I've ignored the, the word of God? That's the point of what Jesus is talking here. And if there actually is no uh, possibility of a torment after death, or if we go to torment after death, but then we can get rescued out of it, this story doesn't make any sense. Why would you take care of Lazarus, if you know that you can actually get rescued from the flames. Why not just live your life now the way you want? And then even if something bad happens for a little while after you die, then it'll probably end. 
no big deal. That's not the emphasis of this story. This, this, emphasis is, this emphasis of this story is that it is a real warning of what can happen to you after you die. And so in this life now, listen to the man who's come back from the dead. Listen to the word of God and live in such a way that you don't go there, but instead you go to the reward of the saints, which is to go and dwell in the presence of God in comfort with the saints who have gone before us. All right, so I want to just go to one more place in scriptures for this kind of basic overview of what happens after death. And so I want to go to Revelations. And again, this one is a view not of what happens immediately after, but of the final judgment. This is right at the end of Revelations. Now, Revelations is a very symbolic book. There's tons of symbolisms in it. And so we can understand that. But just because there's a symbol in something doesn't mean that it doesn't mean anything. When you're driving down the highway to Winnipeg and you see a sign that says <clears throat> maximum 90, that's a symbol. It doesn't do anything. It's just paint on metal. But it symbolizes that if you drive above 90 kilometers an hour, the police have the authority to stop you and fine you or jail you or whatever you want. It's, it's a warning. It's a symbol. It's a warning, but it's a warning with teeth. And so also from the book of Revelations, even though there's lots of symbolism in here, these are symbols with teeth. They mean more than the pictures. They don't mean less. And so um, let's read this here. The judgment before the white throne. It says it, and when I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And Hades and death gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so you have this picture of heaven and earth fleeing away. So it's the, this age is done. Jesus has returned. It's the final judgment. And you see in there, there's these pictures of the, the ocean giving up their dead and death and Hades giving up their dead. And so every person comes to the judgment seat. Everyone who's ever lived is going to be resurrected in that sense of, of coming to stand before God. And then these books are opened, which is a picture of every human life coming under judgment, every human life coming under evaluation and being judged according to what we had done. And then there's this other book that is the book of life. And if your name is written in that book, then you, you go on to live in the he new heavens and the new earth with God, and you don't get thrown into the lake of fire. Now, this is, there's lots of symbolism in here. I grant that. Um, but these symbols have teeth. And what it seems to me, at least, is the warning and the hope from here is that the warning is that nobody escapes. And we all come back to our Creator, and our Creator does evaluate our life. And if we never came to a faith relationship with God and are saved and have the life of God flowing out of us, if we're not reconciled to God, which is, I think, that the symbol of having your name written in the book of life, that God's chosen you and you've come to God in faith, both of those things together, um, then you join with God's enemies in the lake of fire or in that existence that is a torment that goes on and on. And a 
a chapter or two earlier, John writes this about the lake of fire. It says this. This is a few verses earlier. It says this. When the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. <clears throat> and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. All right, so this lake of fire, very similar to the rich man's experience of fire, um, will go on in torment forever and ever, just like Jesus said in Matthew, that being cursed and sent to be with the, the place that the devil and his angels, that place that was prepared for them, it goes on forever and ever, John says. So I'm, we've got these three stories, Matthew, Luke, and the Revelations. And all together, what this presents is after death, people do go to an intermediate state where there is some consequence for, for our relationship with God, which is fine. But the final judgment is the big thing. And the final judgment is presented by Jesus and presented by the Apostle John writing in the Holy Spirit as either going to be with God in the new heavens and the new earth in, a, in an existence of comfort and joy in God's presence or an existence that endures with Satan and his angels in torment. And that's what we tend to call hell, this idea of a judgment from God where we're punished for our rebellion against him and exist with Satan and his angels in a place of torment. And this is this idea that course it's unpleasant and of course there's there's a way of saying i wish it weren't true but in one sense what do our wishes do our wishes don't save anybody from going there and in another sense sometimes we can actually come into judgment about god do you really think that god is is messing up when he's granting eternal life for free to sinners who don't deserve it and if he is punishing people with hell for those who do deserve it? Do we really think that God's messed up? I don't. I know that I don't agree with God, but I'm always wrong. I know that I don't understand, but he does. And I know I don't always like what happens, but I'm usually, <laughs> read always, the one who's got the problem. That's why I'm a sinner and I need him to save me. God doesn't need me to save him. Um, so these are three, three key scriptures that do paint this picture of a punishment that is torment that endures after death, after the final judgment. Now, some other ideas that, that are popular these days that I don't think meet up with scriptural truth is one, that after death, people can be saved. This hope that after death, people can be saved. And again, I don't know why people think these things. It sound, Sometimes it seems to me like it just like a hopeful idea that maybe it wouldn't it be nice if this happened. But again, it doesn't really matter if it'd be nice or not. The matter is what's true. And I don't get to make that up. Now there's a couple of places in scripture where it sure does not sound like that could be the case. So in, in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, 
uh, it says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So he says, just like you, you have this one life, and then you die, and then there is judgment, the same way Jesus isn't going to come back to die for sin, because he already has. The next coming of Christ is to rescue those who are waiting for him. But you just hear, there, this is your life to be saved. Not after you die do you have another chance. This is the chance. This is the time. This is the time to be saved. This is the time to come to faith. And when you die, that is the closing of the doors. That's when there's no more opportunity because that's when the judgment happens. And there is a mercy in just telling people this. Guys, you're, you're up to 80 years that you have in this life. This is the time to come to Christ and be saved. This is the time of mercy. This is the time of hope. And afterwards, um, no, that's, God has revealed that this is it. Uh, similarly, in 2 Peter, this is what Peter says in 2 Peter. I'll find it. Now, what the issue is, is that 2 Peter is anticipating that people are going to start making fun of Christians a lot because Jesus doesn't come back right away and cause the second judgment right away, which does happen. And so he says this. Now in the latter times, sorry, now this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through the apostles Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they have from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Okay, this is Peter talking to all of us. Are you the beloved of God? Don't overlook this fact. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass, pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. So this... Out of all the things Peter's saying here, he's saying this. God is being patient now with sinners. Now is the time when God is being merciful and patient. We should have all been killed a long time ago for our sins, but now is the time where he is patiently enduring generation after generation of people desiring that people be saved. And, and I think it's, it's both unfactual and unloving to push the hope that people be saved into another life because if now is the only time to be saved then we're delaying actually helping people be rescued because we've made up thinking that they could get rescued in another time and so peter is saying the mercies of god are being expressed now with his patience but not after the final judgment 
the, the kindness of God to sinners, the patience of God is happening now that Jesus hasn't returned yet. Now is the time to help people avoid the judgment of God because once they die and once Christ returns, then there is no more time for that. That's when it's all over. And so this is the encouragement for us. Um, but heaven is real. And you can be saved by coming to faith in Christ. You put your trust in him, you follow him. And if you're a believer, live in that excitement. You're not going to have a death like that. You're going to die and go to be with Jesus. Dying is one of the best things that will ever happen to you because this life of sin and suffering is over. And at the same time, don't be deceived. Live with the seriousness of knowing that dying without Christ is the worst thing that can happen to you. Because there is a final judgment, and if we don't have the blood of Jesus rescuing us, if our name isn't by grace written in the book of life because of uh, God's kindness to us through the cross of Jesus and by our faith in him, then we will go to a place of torment. And we need to live in that kind of wise fear of the Lord, knowing that we can't mess around with this. We don't change it just by wishing it were different. But instead, goodness comes from us believing God has spoken and responding to him with faith and truth. So this is how I see things. I do think every one of us needs to realize that whatever happens after death, we can't know unless God reveals it. But if God has revealed it, it's up to us to really know what he's revealed so that we can live this life honestly and live this life with integrity and live this life in a way that is going to impact our eternity uh, with the best results. And so I encourage you to get into scripture. I encourage you to do your own studies. I encourage you to test your own heart. If your motivation is really just to know what God has said and respond with faith, or if you're trying to wrestle and manipulate because of your feelings or because of what you're worried other people will think about you, those kinds of motivations never turn out good just in life. And they definitely won't turn out to your benefit in eternity. But otherwise, let's put our trust in Jesus. He came down to save us, and he's never lied to us. Let's put our trust in Jesus, and let's aim to do as much good with our lives as we can, knowing we'll be rewarded for it. Love you. Be blessed in the name of Jesus.